0: What happens when a preacher and a science teacher discuss today's world from a biblical perspective? You're about to find out. This is Beaker and Pulpit Podcast. Hi, Carrie. (laughs) Hi, Christoph. How are you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you?
0: Oh, man. Long time no see. It seems
1: like that's how we do things now. I know. We record one, and then we take a few weeks off, because, no, not because it's your fault, because people are sick, or cars are broken, or whatever's going on, <laughs> life gets in the way of podcasting.
0: Boss says, hey, you need to come in and work. Right? <laughs> and the boss came and said, it's time
1: for you to I was on call last week, mm-hmm. so there was that, too. Well, um, you sent me some information a couple of days ago, uh, pretty interesting stuff for us to talk about. I think we just get right into it, so... Uh, the two topics, which uh, I think are going to go hand in hand, one is huh? the. Okay, well I hope so. Okay, that's why you sent them to me, right?
0: Well, I put or in between them. Oh
1: well, which one do you want to talk about? Tower of Babel or
0: epigenetics? Epigenetics. Yes.
1: Well, I said which one? You said yes.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I didn't know if if you had taken any time to check out either one or sure or not, but. Um,
1: well, which one? Let's you want to go in order? Tower of Babel.
0: Sure, we can knock that one out.
1: We'll we'll see uh we'll see how long that carries us and we'll either get into the other one or that'll be the next topic. Yeah. All right. All right, well tell me your thoughts on the Tower of Babel. True story? Allegorical? Oh, it's true. True story. So yeah. that account, you know, just from my uh little bit of study and research i did so that account that narrative is a much like the the narrative of the flood in scripture yes is um a tradition held by world religions mm-hmm. for centuries yes right um so the flood the tower of babel or something similar to the story of the tower of babel is something that's um that's pretty common in world religions. So tell me your thoughts on that, the fact that it's common in world religions. What does that mean to you? And then specifically you're saying it's not allegorical, but it's a true story. So give me some feedback on
0: that. Well, I I guess I come from a a line of thinking that um, God has it there for a reason. And it's not just a story. It's not just something to tell you how language got spread. Okay, um, it had a definite beginning. And and I and I really think that with the Christian worldview, you have to view things as these are all legitimate. These are all real. Okay, if you go into viewing the things like the flood or Genesis chapter one, the creation, or the Tower of Babel, and and think, well, there's an analogy here. There's, it's not really happened, but you know, something happened. If you go in that, you're going in with with doubt, with unbelief, and and not true believing God for what He says. Okay,
1: well, there are some biblical uh, writings that are allegorical in nature, right?
0: Yes. But they 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 have a strong tendency to let you know okay. that that's what it is. All right, so you know?
1: so what is? I maybe break down for us a little bit why um, why you would hesitate to say well Tower Babel um, not allegorical, true narrative account.
0: Well, uh, we know that all life forms have one common ancestor. Now, whether you believe in evolution, whether you believe in creationism, they all go back to, hey, it starts from a, a, a starting point. Languages are very similar. Okay, God created language. Now, I, I do not believe that Adam and Eve and all the way through Noah, that they spoke English. No. Right. I think they had their own language. Could have been Hebrew. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, that's what we don't know, but what we do know is that at the time, if everything came through Noah, of course they were all going to speak the same language. Okay. I mean, how else were they going to get other languages? So just so the account, so you have
1: to hold to a true interpretation of the flood. Yes. In order to hold to a true interpretation of the Tower of Babel. Right? Yes. Because there's one language. Yes. Right. That descends from the time of Noah up until the point
0: of the building of this tower. Yes. Okay. And 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 so, yes, I think there there's parts of it that um, are great examples of of people because they spoke one language, had one common purpose, and that they, when they all come together in full agreement, they could do anything. Right. Okay, we could draw those kinds of uh, allegories out of that, but did that event happen? They have found location, a general location for what they believe would be the Tower of Babel. Okay. They found the general location. Okay, and, and so forth. People are going, okay, Tower of Babel. Hmm, that sounds kind of similar to Babylon. And I say, yes, you're in the same plane where Babylon is at. Right. And that's where they get the, ta- the name of Babylon for the city because it's in the same plane. Right. And they know the general area where these people were located at They were building the tower of Babel, okay? And, and from there. And, and now you're gonna, now we're going to get into a little bit of biology and, um, and genetics and everything. All the people typically at the time were looking the same. They had the same genetics. Okay. But now when today you look around, well, whoa, wait a minute now. We have people that have a lot of melanin in their skin over here. And then you got people that have, well, they have a little more of a yellow tint in their melanin. And some people have a, a white, or not, yeah, a white. They look pasty white. They don't have any melanin in their skin. And you got and people with the there's some of us that
1: are like spotted melanin. Yeah, got, right?
0: got freckles in there. Yeah. But what happens is, is, the interesting thing is when you start to study this and start to look at this, not only when God says and grouped them, gave each one their own language, okay, they started speaking, and it was brand new. I mean, there's like, you know, all of a sudden, there, there might have been some people speaking English, you know. Right. Some people speaking Chinese, or some people speaking Arabic. I mean, they're, their language, and they're, they're looking at each other going, whoa, wait a minute. I'm speaking a different language. And now, what happens is, is groups started gathering based upon their language. Okay. Now, here comes the interesting part with the genetics. Because they... They started grouping themselves based upon their language. Then they split because now they weren't in full agreement. They couldn't speak to one another to get agreement to make the tower. So now they split. They left. Okay. So as they left, now they start to isolate themselves. So what did they do? Well, I mean, they still wanted offspring. They still wanted kids. And so they all would just intermarry within their same language. Okay, And so now you have pockets of this all throughout the world now where now genetically we have these little pockets and they all intermarried and so now certain traits would start to become dominant and now we start to realize some of these traits over the course of a thousand years. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Oh wow. Eyes have a different shape Okay, and, and that would happen to be the dominant uh, eye shape for this particular group. Okay, skin color, because they all intermarried, they kept all that genetics all within that group. Right. Dominant traits would just cut rise to the surface. So now, after um, six generations, now you, what you're getting is now you're getting a people that looks totally different than what they originally looked like because the genetic pool was very small, and tight. Okay, does that make sense? So they look
1: different after well,
0: six generations. Yes, and, and and the difference is what I mean is when you look at an Asian, you look at them, you go, "Oh, yeah, they're they're from you know Southeast Asia from that region of the world, right? Okay, okay." And you can see, oh, man, these guys got pasty white skin. We could tell. They're from that, you know, the European region of the world. Right. Okay. Oh, man, they got a lot of melanin in their skin. So we know they're from the uh, continent of Africa. Okay. We could see how they already, not only was their language separated here, but now genetically they started changing. Mm. And the genetics stayed in that little pool. Okay. I mean, th- think about this. My, my wife and I, we were watching um, uh, a documentary here a couple of weeks ago, well, a little bit longer now when I was going to mention this, but it was the, the last slave ship or known slave ship to leave Africa and bring slaves to uh, the United States. Mm-hmm. And they did it illegally because it was after the Civil War and slavery was outlawed. Right. But this um, sea captain was um, uh, somebody offered him, hey, I'll pay you $1,000 if you bring a a load of slaves over here. And for whatever reason, he says, yeah, sure, I take one of my ships, my fastest ships, I'll modify it, you know, remodel it, if you will. And then he went over there to West Africa, bought uh, about 110 slaves, loaded them up, and brought them back. And he... Interesting thing is, he started going up the, the Alabama, the main river, North, South River in Alabama, in the state of Alabama, he was going up the river, and I don't know how far up. At some point in time, he met up with the people who set the bet with him, and they hid the boat, unloaded the slaves, but the slave owner, the guy who owned the ship, he put his ship in the middle of the river and lit it on fire, mm-hmm. Okay. He had to burn the evidence because it was illegal. Okay. Well, the interesting thing now is we have descendants from there, from that group, because that was a small group, and, and they, they have it documented that 70 of the people on that boat were bought by one uh, owner. Okay. And it wasn't that they were doing necessarily field work all day. Some of them were doing uh, maybe working in the shipyards. And doing other work, so it wasn't just plantation-type work. Okay. And, well, of course, they intermarried, just that group. Right. And so now there's people here, like I said, it's it's very interesting. Now they can look back, and they say, yeah, my great-great-grandfather was on that ship. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Or my great-grandfather was on there, depending upon which generation they were. Yeah. And they can point back to that, and they have the list of names, and they can genetically take their DNA test, and it points right back to it. Bring up the DNA test. I don't know. Have you ever had your DNA tested? No. Well, I have. And, of course, you look at me. Okay, yeah, we know you're, you're, you're European, and your last name, Overmiller, okay, German. Right. Okay, you're right. I am German- English, Mm -hmm. but I have 1% other. Okay. Any guesses what my 1% other is? Native American. Indian, you got it. (laughs) How did that... Hey, I have more Indian in me than certain congressmen. (laughs) But I ain't going to make a living on it, okay? Right. But I bring this up, is... We can genetically follow all this back to Europe. Now, if you really want to take a deep dive into genetics, they can actually follow that all the way back to the Middle East. They can go back. If you're uh, a black person with dark, a lot of melanin, okay, we know you're from the continent of Africa, and they can follow that through the continent of Africa back to the Middle East. Oh, you're from Asian descent. They can deep dive in that, and that takes them all the way back to the Middle East. Hmm. And I wonder what location that could have been. Right. Yeah. The Tower of Babel. Okay. Okay. And so we get genetically, we can, we can and, and have studied this. So you go in a few generations... And you're keeping all the dominant genes dominant in there, so now they're going to be expressed, which what we're going to be seeing as oh you got what we'll call yellow skin, which isn't necessarily true, but we we just use that term to signify oh you must be Asian. Oh you got you got slanted eyes, so we use that as a a way to to say hey you know you're an Asian, okay. But we can find these dominant traits. And how they work in genetics is they have to stay in this little pool. Now, bring this to the real world today. My kind, loving, wonderful wife, she's of Hispanic descent. Uh-huh. Her, she has a grandfather that's from the mountain regions of Mexico. Okay, Her grandmother from a border town. Uh-huh. Okay, she is she's whiter than me, but she can speak French, Spanish, English. And maybe there's a fourth language. I don't know, but being in a border town, she got to learn how to speak different languages. And here it is: my kids have some different characteristics that aren't as strong Germans. When you see my kids, you're not going to say, "Oh yeah, that looks like a strong Northern European there." Right? No, because now they're that DNA now has mixed into a broader genetic pool. And so it's brought up some different traits and characteristics that weren't there before. Right. Okay. And that's what we're finding out today. This is why it becomes so interesting, intriguing about genetics in our world today is now because of all the interracial marriages and people wanting to take their DNA test. Oh, my goodness, they're, they're finding out some very interesting things. And now that gene pool has just expanded. Right. Well, it's kind of reverting back to the time of Noah. Noah, prior to him, but prior to the flood, that gene pool was expanding. They were all intermarrying and everything else. But when Noah came along and the flood, now the gene pool shrunk just to Noah and his family. And now that gene pool starts to expand. But it was all... The dominant traits were what we'll call is Middle Eastern, right? Now, when God brought language and separated everyone by language, now that gene pool got even smaller. So now the dominant traits weren't being wiped out, but got to be expressed even in a stronger way. Okay. So now you can see, you know, people, you can say, hey, you're, you're Asian, you're Indian from India, um, the people from the Middle East. They they look at each other. and go, Oh yeah, I can tell you're you're Pakistani or you're Jordanian or you're from Turkey. And I mean, I'm looking at them. Okay, you can figure this out somehow. I don't know, but they can. Right. All right. And and because of the traits and the characteristics and all of that came, believe it or not, from the events that took place at the Tower of Babel.
1: So why don't we see you know, if the narrative is true and you know, obviously if the if we go back to the time of Noah and that narrative is true, you've got a pretty small gene pool for mm-hmm. your descendants. Yes. Right? Originally. And then we go to Tower of Babel and now you now the gene pool is shrunk again by people group because of the separation. Mm-hmm. Why isn't there an experience of because what we know now is that you know, if there's intermarrying and mm-hmm. I mean, even look at like um if you look historically in the British royal family, right? Okay. Or or in, in really not just British royal family, but even like if you look at, at the you know, history of Russia, um, when when they're trying to keep uh the royals and their descendants within the same bloodline, you end up with birth defects mm-hmm. and you end up with um you're missing chromosomes or mm-hmm. or you end up with things that are not building a stronger descendant base but actually weaker. Why don't we see that in the time of Noah? Why don't we see that in the Tower of Babel? Why are we seeing uh, the growth of population rather
0: than these defects that would stagnate that growth? Well, <clears throat> that's a very good point to bring up. A couple of things is that that monarchy bloodline was even smaller. Okay. Okay. It was fine-tuned even more so, and because of that, you know they had this idea that only ro- royalty could marry royalty. Right. Nobody else could. So that just kept that gene pool very small. Now you'll notice that if if you were born like one of the czars of Russia, but Let's say you're a female, but you're like the fourth daughter or something. You could end up almost marrying whoever you wanted to marry because you weren't in line to become a czar, Mm -hmm. all right? Because you probably had a brother or two or three ahead of you. That's going to be them. So you got to marry other people, and you'll notice when you follow that hemophilia, that is the main mutated gene in there, that doesn't follow them. Okay. When they marry outside of that that pool, mm-hmm. it's only when they stayed inside of it. But that was a very small, small select group. So we don't know how many people like okay, how many people spoke uh, a form of of Chinese or Asian dialect. Right. We don't know how many people. I mean, it could have been five thousand. I don't know that figure. Yep. I don't know if you ever were, were taught that figure, maybe. I don't know. No, I mean, it would all be speculation, right? So, yeah. So so you got to... So you're not so fine-tuned. Okay. So you're still within a small group. And I understand what you're saying. But the dominant traits would come up. So what if we
1: back it up to the time of Noah, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty small group, right? Mm-hmm. How how does... I mean, I mean, go Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve to the time yeah. of Noah, or go from Noah to the time of the Tower of Babel, or You are talking a a very small group, right? Very so, small. So, so what what's different? And I am sure that you have it has to be speculation, right? But what's mm-hmm. different at that time
0: than now? Well, uh, the speculation would be that genetically, there wasn't a whole lot of variation to begin with. Okay, there wasn't really mutations taking place. And what could cause the mutations. Okay. All right. We 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 seem to think that in order to bring in change into genetics, it has to be some major mutation. And that now we know is not the case. Okay. Because environment can turn on or turn off certain switches of our chromosomes. Oh, yeah, because our study of genetics is growing, so we're going, whoa, okay, you mean we could have the same genetics, but it might be expressed in me one way and expressed in you a little bit differently, but because of the environment, that's what caused maybe a gene got switched on or off, okay? Wow. Okay. So the your the physical environment can do that to your genes. Yes. Oh wow. Now we we know sin plays a powerful powerful influence on the on mutations. Right. So when you start out there at the time of Noah, because he was a righteous man, and you can go back to Adam and Eve, and they started out, they they virtually didn't have that right that influence that's going to create that, and it took. It took them what a thousand years before they died. Okay, yep. so it took sin that long to finally kill took corrupt
1: them. perfection.
0: Yes. Okay. So you're talking about when when you you talk about the time of Noah and he had he was God said hey this is a righteous man in this world of all this unrighteousness. So Noah had something going for him that set him apart from everyone else as well as his, his sons. yeah. So when you start talking genetically now coming out of that, you're, you're talking about, um, yes, it's a small pool. And yes, um, and, and people always bring this up. Well, you know, ooh, that's gross. That's your niece, and you got a niece and a nephew, and now they're marrying, and ooh, that's gross. But at the time, number one, they didn't have any other choices. But when we look at, at any kind of animals... When they're new in the genetics, there's a lot of, I'll use the word leeway. There's a lot of freedom. There's not a whole lot of mutations, not a lot of negative diseases and things that happen. It's after those genetics have been established for a long time. Now that allows for the mutations or the, the, the changes of the chromosomes in the DNA and things like that. Right. so that takes a, a long time to get that established and what we, we found that, because we, we can we, we've seen that by by bringing in new genetics into animals and now it takes them a long time before an actual true legitimate mutation that would really mess things up or bring a, a change to them okay does that help clarify sure yeah because
1: so in the in the couple minutes we have left why don't we um, Consider the narrative of the Tower of Babel, um, the biology that you discuss, the genetics that you discussed, and tell us how that um, points your heart
0: back to a creator. Oh, there's a design in this. Okay. Man, when you see DNA, um, the beauty of it, you know, we carry 46 chromosomes with us, right? Yeah. Now, for us, now hopefully people don't think this is too risque, our sperm has t- 23. Yep. It has half of our chromosomes, and they're random, yep. okay? And, and we, we'll release 500 million of these things right. at one time, right? And for females, they have 46 chromosomes, but when they produce an egg, it only has 23. Right. I mean, think about this. And now you, you release that 500 million sperm, and then what finally gets to the egg might be a couple dozen left. Yeah. The rest of them have died or got stuck or something. Right. And then these last dozen or two, they're fighting to get in there. And the first, the winner gets there. Yep. And I like telling my students and anybody listening, I want you to know that you're a winner. <laughs> so you started out a winner. You start out a winner. Right. See, that's God. God's going to say, hey, I'm going to start you out ahead. You're a winner. Yep. Yep. Your sperm got there, fertilized it. Hey, we're, we're good to go. Yep. You're a winner. But there's a design to it. There is a design. And that's what gets me is I could see that, and I see the intricacies. I see how how so easy it is to have all these problems. But there's not this... You know, DNA doesn't necessarily have a mind of its own. It has proteins. And these proteins, when they're combined, have a task. They just right. know it. it was, the creator says, okay, when you get this combination of proteins, this is what you do. When you get this combination, this is what you do. I mean, if you're going to leave this up to random, believe me, we would not be looking like this. Sure. Okay. And that's why I could say, man, you can see God in everything. God's in our language. He made the languages. He split us up. And now, because God loves variety. You know, I I noticed a sign that says God is colorblind. Mm -hmm. No, God's not colorblind. God created color. God loves color. God loves variety. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want things pasty white. He wants things colorful. Mm-hmm. He loves variety, and that's why He created us such. Mm-hmm. So when He gave us language and and we spread out across this earth, now we we created variety. Because when you go to these different people groups, you're going to say they are different from them, right? And they are different from them. Yeah. Why? Because guess what God wants? God wants variety. He didn't want us all to be little cookie cutters.
1: Okay. Well, I think that's going to carry over nicely into the next discussion when we get into epigenetics, right?
0: Yes, because I I briefly touched on it today.
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, very good. Well, Kerry, thank you for your time. It's a a good takeaway for us to think about uh, how diversity reflects the character of God, right? Yes. That that we should be able to look in our culture, look outside of our culture, and see the very nature and the very heart of God.
0: And make sure you subscribe, hit the like (laughs) button, (laughs) and... Tell all your friends and send this link to everybody in your email list. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, Carrie. You bet. Thank you.